0: And welcome to the fourth episode of Emma and Rebecca Talk IP, the series where we take a few minutes each week or so to discuss a hot topic in the world of intellectual property that's caught our attention and try to unravel what's really going on. My name is Rebecca Gay.
1: And I'm Emma Isles. In today's episode, we're going to take a bit of a look at the proposed patent box regime that was announced as part of the recent federal budget. So, Rebecca, how do we unpack the patent box?
0: Well, a patent box is a way of referring to a concessional tax regime for dealing with revenue generated from patents. And when when it comes to tax, I'm pretty much the first person to admit that I need help. So today we have joining us a tax expert, Michael Anderson, from HSF's affiliated tax firm, Greenwoods and Herbert Smith Freehills. Welcome, Michael. Hello, and thank you for both uh, for having me.
1: Thank you for joining us to help with our unpacking. So, what I do know about patent boxes is that they typically provide low tax rates for income derived from the development and use of patents. In essence, they box up the part of a company's income that's derived from a patent, so that it's taxed in a different way to the company's other income. And they are literally named after the box that you tick in your tax return. Michael, Australia is not the first country to come up with this type of system, is it?
2: No, not at all. They've been around for uh, a number of decades, actually. The first patent box was introduced in Ireland back in the 70s, and it exempted all royalty and licensing income from patented goods from the Irish taxpayers' income tax. Uh, A similar regime was subsequently applied by France, and several other companies have followed, including the UK and more recently, China. However, patent box regimes today are in uh, a number of key regards fundamentally different from some of the earlier patent box regimes, which, as with the former Irish regime, had tax rates as low as 0%. And these key differences are due in to a large shift in the international tax landscape, consequent to the OECD's base erosion and profit shifting project, or BEPS.
0: And it's important to bear in mind that not all boxes are equal, um, and some pack up more than just patents. Some countries offer innovation boxes or IP boxes, which can capture revenue generated from other IP rights, such as trademarks and copyright. But at this stage, what is proposed for Australia is really pretty confined. It's a patent box for medical and biotechnologies specifically. Michael, what is the basic proposal?
2: Yeah. Well, from 1 July 2022, the Australian Patent Box is set to tax income derived by a company from eligible Australian patents at a concessional tax rate of 17% rather than the standard corporate tax rate of 30% or 25% for small to medium companies. And it will apply to revenue generated from granted Australian patents covering medical and biotech technologies and which were applied for after the budget announcement at 7.30pm on 11 May 2021, in case anyone's really desperate for for the lodgement time. There will also be a domestic development requirement built into the box. This will mean that the concessional tax rate will only apply to the portion of the company's income derived from the patent R&D expenditure it incurred and which took place in Australia. This is a nexus requirement and it's a key plank in the OEC developed guidelines for acceptable or so-called non-harmful IP regimes.
1: And all of that does mean that the benefits of the regime are going to take a little while to kick in, given it will only apply to patents filed after 11 May 2021. Generally speaking, there's a long period of time between when a patent's filed to when it's granted, and then often even more time until income is actually generated from
0: commercialisation, particularly in the medical and biotech space. That's right, Emma. So, I guess it's going to be quite a few years before we have a clear understanding of how the regime is actually operating or how effective it is. One particular issue I'm going to be really interested to see is how an assessment is actually made of the income that is derived from the patent compared with other income. I would have thought that's going to be pretty complicated, particularly if you have a company with multiple patents covering a single product, uh, which is really common in the medical and biotech space. Michael, do you have any thoughts on how that's going to work?
2: Oh, look, you're right. It's not going to be straightforward. But if we take the starting point as um, the relevant expenditure incurred by the company in developing a patented item, because that's the starting point. Relevantly, how much of the expenditure was incurred by the company in Australia or will otherwise be taken to qualify as eligible expenditure? And that's something that we'll need to see from the legislation, but it's part of the, the key points. The ratio of that qualifying expenditure to total expenditure incurred on the patent item will set the overall percentage that should be applied to the income earned from an eligible patent. And then the next step is to determine, of the income earned, how much relates to the patent and how much relates to ancillary processes, such as marketing and manufacturing. Um, Those items, those processes, and that income from those processes uh, will not be covered by the concessional rate. So income earned in relation to such processes, as I say, will be taxed at the ordinary rate. And then lastly, the 17% rate should apply to the net income earned and not the gross income. In your scenario of an item with multiple contributory patents, a further step will likely need to be undertaken to first ascertain the economic contribution of each component patent before then going through the steps I've just outlined to arrive at an overall qualifying net income, uh, which will be subject to the 17% rate.
1: And Michael, as we've already noted, initially, the patent box will only apply to patents of medical and biotech innovations initially. Is there any possibility of it being expanded to other technology areas down the track?
2: Uh, It seems that this is a possibility. Uh, The government's goal with this regime is to drive research in medical and biotechnologies and also support skilled jobs by encouraging companies to base their R&D activities in Australia. Essentially, it's a regime designed to encourage companies to undertake their R&D locally and keep their patents here in Australia. And the government has already indicated that it will consult closely with industry on the design and explore whether expanding the incentive would be an effective way to, uh, to bring in other areas. And they've mentioned uh, support for clean energy technologies. Um, You know, as the regime isn't due to start until the 1st of July 2022, there is certainly some time out there before we can actually, uh, in which to both, you know, apply pressure to government and seek to gain inclusion, but also to work out what exactly we'll be capable of fitting inside the box.
0: I would have thought that expanding it to clean energy would make a lot of sense. We've, we've got a lot of opportunities here in Australia. Uh, but, Michael, I assume the patent box regime will sit alongside the R&D tax incentives that were announced in last year's budget, which are going to come into effect from 1 July of this year?
2: That, that's right. And it's not just last year's uh, R&D. R&D's been around for a while. I mean, and, and it's a regime, though, which is is seen yeah, to some regrettable extent, unfortunately, some confusing changes over time, but certainly the idea is that um, the R&D regime effectively is the front end of the of the process, um, whereas the patent regime targets the later stage commercialisation effectively. Um, and so the idea is to provide for an end-to-end uh, tax-effective uh, regime, as I say, which will provide for um, the necessary or hopefully the necessary encouragement to continue to base activities in Australia in high-skilled value-added industries.
1: And, Michael, given those potential advantages, I gather a number of organisations and bodies in Australia have advocated for patent boxes and similar incentives for a long time and have welcomed these changes?
2: Yeah, look, I think that's that's very much fair to say. I mean, some of Australia's largest biotech companies have been pretty vocal in their support for such a regime. Um, CSL for example has said it believes the patent box will encourage onshore commercialization and manufacture of medical research and that it is necessary for Australia to remain competitive with peer nations who offer targeted incentives to encourage the commercialization of homegrown IP. I mean fundamentally R&D incentives and patent boxes are fiscal measures designed to attract capital and or encourage the development and retention of skilled high-paying jobs in a country and the income that flows from the output of such skilled work. I mean, we've seen that in a highly competitive world, an increasing mobility in human capital, and in particular in high-skilled capital, human capital, high-value-added areas. uh, And the government's decision to introduce a patent patent box regime is a welcome further step in the further building out of Australia as a smart country.
0: It is good to see that step being taken, but um, do do you think the patent box really will be effective in achieving that or or being a first step in achieving that?
2: Uh, Look, That's the $64 million question. Um, To start with, as proposed, it has a very narrow focus, biotech and medtech only. The budget, as noted, indicated government may look to expand the scope of the regime to clean energy tech when legislated. But at this stage, it is a very narrow in its focus. If I was to take a glass half full approach, Australia has a well-developed and competitive biotech and medtech sector. And no doubt for companies in these sectors, it may ease some of the pressure that they may have otherwise felt to relocate their R&D activities and the jobs that go with them outside of Australia to take advantage of comparable regimes in foreign jurisdictions it is certain that this is a core goal and no doubt yardstick the government will apply in measuring success taking a glass half empty approach it it could be seen as a lost opportunity to cast the you know the net of inclusion more widely i mean what of quantum computing for instance another open question will ultimately be the rate will 17 percent be effective and competitive
1: And Michael, one of the things you're observing a few days ago is that the proposed patent box regime should also be considered in the context of global initiatives, particularly those driven by the OECD, to put an end to tax avoidance strategies that exploit gaps and mismatches between the tax systems of different countries.
2: Look, that's absolutely right. Um, The OECD's guidelines relating to patent box regimes require a nexus between the income receiving the benefits and the activity contributing to that income. I mean, this means that the benefit can only apply when the R&D is undertaken by the company itself and in the country giving the concession. With the OECD BEPS project having garnered broad international consensus as to what constitutes a non-harmful patent box regime, and substance and the requirement for nexus is at the heart of this, countries are now competing on more than just tax. And this is probably where Australia is hoping and pinning its its hopes uh, that it will be able to stand up, notwithstanding the position of the rate. For knowledge-based industries that are reliant on access to a highly skilled workforce, factors such as a stable political and legal environment, as well as whether a country is an attractive place to live and reside, become key selling points Whereas before BEPS, some patent regimes had no or minimal substance requirements, and hence companies did not need to relocate key employees to take advantage of favourable tax outcomes, now substance is key.
0: I just want to talk about the the tax rate a little bit more, Michael. You've sort of queried whether it will be competitive. Um, I gather it is quite a bit higher, the 17% is quite a bit higher than uh, a lot of other patent box and innovation regimes. Is that right? Look,
2: certainly if you, if you benchmark it against other nations, it, it is a bit higher, um, quite a bit higher in some instances. I mean, the Netherlands innovation box, for instance, started off as a patent box with a tax rate of 10% and over time has expanded to an innovation box, which includes the OECD Nexus requirement and currently has a rate of 7%. Um, France and the UK currently have patent boxes with 10% corporate tax rates, and both have also been revised over time to include you know, R&D nexus requirements in compliance with the OECD's non-harmful tax practice guidelines. But given the narrow initial proposed focus, I think it's fair to say that the objective of the federal government was to provide just enough of an incentive for domestic biotech and medtech industries to remain based in Australia and not relocate their R&D capabilities and critically the associated jobs overseas uh, which of itself is by no means an easy or inexpensive task for an additional 2 to 7% tax saving so I, I think you could say that it may not be a sort of rate that attracts capital from offshore but clearly government is pinning its hopes that it's a sufficiently attractive tax rate to retain capital within australia
1: and that rate is um quite similar to the rate in China, which has an interesting patent box regime and provides a corporate tax rate of 15%. But that's to companies that spend at least three to six percent of their gross revenue on R&D, have 60% of firm revenue from core IP, and have 30% of their workforce with a college degree or 10% employed in R&D or high-tech occupations.
2: That's right. And look, the other thing to consider here is that many of the existing regimes were established pre-COVID-19, and using forward estimates of government tax receipts that hadn't factored in, you know, what we're now seeing as trillions of dollars in COVID-19 related fiscal stimulus and support measures that are being provided by governments across the world and implemented over the last year, and will continue to be implemented for some time. And so it remains to be seen whether those earlier regimes can remain at their present levels or become closed to new new entrants effectively when headline corporate tax rates in a number of countries are going up. And we're seeing that the UK has already announced that its corporate tax rate will be going up um, and the US is indeed indicated the same all of which is in response to COVID-19 and more generally in response to broader changes in the international tax environment, again, driven in part by the OECD BEPS projects, which is building, uh, again, a broad consensus for actually a global minimum tax rate. So there is, I think, probably now, um, if anything, less pressure on the rate, but again, it's still a highly competitive environment.
0: That's really interesting. I guess it's a a watch this space situation for now. We're about to go into the government consultation process and um, no doubt a lot of these issues will be discussed and perhaps resolved during this process. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. That's been really helpful. Um, And until next time.